financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8th, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Something came up behind his vehicle and slammed its hands down, and he said it was definitely hands on the deck of his trunk and almost bottomed the, the uh, charger out. He hit his brakes because he was in park, and it, the red light lit up something very broad and hairy, and he could see its hands were still on the trunk deck. And he just threw it in gear and punched it because it wasn't a person, obviously. It was some sort of creature, and he believed it was a Bigfoot creature. He rocketed out of the area and drove back into town, pulled into a convenience store, got out, and the deck of his trunk had been caved in. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again. 
go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. They exist in myth and legend, dating back to the earliest history of man. Different cultures of different names for the same creature, which has haunted the dark places of our collective psyche. Loop Garou, werewolf, lycanthropes, Rugaru, Michigan dogman, the beast of land between the lakes, Ulanga doglala, Shunka, well, skinwalker, I couldn't pronounce the last one. The beast is known by many names, but they all lead to the ultimate apex predator. And the apex predator is the name of a series of four books, which include the titles Wolf Moon, Blood Moon, Hunter's Moon, and the fourth Horned Moon, all written by my next guest. D.A. Roberts is a cryptozoologist and author of fiction primarily in the horror, dystopian, and science fiction genres. He was born in Lebanon, Missouri. He now lives in Springfield, Missouri with his wife and sons. And for most of his career, D.A. served his community in law enforcement. D.A. also hosts a popular podcast called D.A. Ex Machina, along with co-host Steve Wildman, uh, Monrodas, and Neoma, uh, Neoma Finn, best known for her work on the Dixie Cryptids and what if it's true podcasts? D.A. Roberts, welcome. Climb on board. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I got to ask you to sort of begin your journey into this whole field of, of cryptids and cryptid horror writing on the lap of your Uncle Buddy. Tell me about your Uncle Buddy. My Uncle Buddy was an amazing man. He married into the family. He was full-blood Cherokee Indian, but he married my my mother's sister. And he was like a second father to me. I just adored him. Uh, he passed away in 2019. And uh, it was a very, very deep loss to lose him. But being Cherokee, I grew up listening to him tell stories about native legends and tales of different creatures that existed in their mythos. And, and, and then, you know, later I, I realized that some of these creatures were very much cryptids and there are sightings all over the world and all over the United States of these creatures. But I, I spent my formative years going camping and hunting on his land. And I grew up listening to those stories and those really helped shape my imagination where I wanted to be. That's I, I, part of what made me want to be a writer in the first place between him and my mother. My mother really encouraged me to, to not only be an avid reader, but to pursue writing as well. And uh, it's those those early tales that really inspired me. So you tell the story of, of how you had this interest in Bigfoot and Dogmen, and you, you watched, like many of us of our generation, Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. And oh, yeah. There were Bigfoot movies and, of course, the Patterson film mm-hmm. that came out in 67. 
And you would go around to your relatives, you know, as a young boy, really asking, what do you think? Is Bigfoot real? Have you ever seen one? And they thought you were being just silly. And then one day your Uncle Buddy pulled you aside and whispered, what? He picked me up after I'd been asking everybody, you know, about Bigfoot. And they were all laughing at me because I was, I was a fairly young kid. But that glint, that changing, defining moment was when Uncle Buddy set me in his lap when nobody else was around and goes, they're real because I've seen them. And wow. from then on, I, I was just hooked. I, I couldn't stop thinking about them. How'd you sleep that night, by the way? <laughs> well, my imagination has always been something my, my siblings and my parents just marveled at because I was always creating these little goofy stories as a kid. And after my mother passed away, I found that, that she'd kept a lot of them in a drawer, and they were horrible. I mean, they were written by six, seven-year-old. They were really terrible. But her encouragement really is what inspired me to want to continue the writing career. And it's something I love to do. Uh, I love being able to share stories with people. And I've been so fascinated and involved in asking people about cryptids and going out camping and looking you know, looking for evidence, searching all these years, looking for my own experiences and talking to people who have had their own, that I've used these experiences that I've gathered both from my, my own personal experience and people to shape the behaviors of the creatures that I write about in my fiction. But to have confirmation from an adult – so, oh, yeah. And someone that you admired, that they are real. I mean, that must have – I mean, it's one thing to be interested in them and to read about them and to fantasize about them. But to have an adult mm -hmm. say they are real, did that scare you? It was, a, we, it was a paradigm shift. I, I really was already firmly convinced they were uh, out there. But for you – know, like you said, for someone, an adult, to just admit, yes, they're real and I've seen them. And Uncle Buddy was not the kind of guy to spin yarns. He, if he told me something, I believed it. He was just that, that type of person. He didn't even want alcohol on his property. He was not a drinker. Uh, he smoked a pipe. <laughs> but uh, that was like his only vice. He was just a, a hell of a man. And for him to tell me something like that, I had no doubt whatsoever he was telling me the truth. And he saw them on his property, did he? Yes, he did. There's a little town outside of where I grew up. And Lebanon is not a big town, Twelve to 15,000 now. And it was probably 8,000 when I was a kid. And I grew up on a farm north of Lebanon. And Uncle Buddy had 108 acres on land near the Niangua River Valley. Then the closest town was a, a little bitty town called Eldridge, Missouri. And Eldridge is really nothing more than a couple of houses and a gas station. That's it. It's just a tiny little hamlet in the middle of nowhere. And he he was probably 15 miles from it. Wow. And so what did he see on his land? He had a walkout basement and he had his pool table down there. And he told me he was walking down the stairs one night and flipped on the light to go down to play pool. And he stopped about halfway down the stairs when he saw a Bigfoot creature standing in the sliding glass door. It was shut, but it was just standing there looking at him. And he said it filled the entire sliding glass door. I said, well, what'd you do? He goes, well, I reached for a rifle and, uh, I, I turned and looked, and it was it was already moving away. He said, so he went out the door, and he lived on a bluff that went down to the Niangara River Valley, and it was descending the bluff that uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75-degree angle straight down almost, and it was just grabbing rocks and trees and everything he could get his hands on and went straight down that bluff and down into the river valley. My I word. said, did you shoot at it? And he said, no, no, I did not. Your Uncle Buddy, obviously – a huge inspiration. He's mm -hmm. immortalized now. He passed away in 2019, but he's now immortalized as a character in the Apex Predator series of books, right? Correct. Who is he uh, in the books? Who, who is he? 
I based a character called named Jay Matoska off of him. And Matoska means white bear. That character is just very much Uncle Buddy. I mean, anybody that knows him knows that character is, is based on him. My siblings spotted it immediately. Tell me about the other protagonist, Gray Eagle. William Gray Eagle is um, he's half Lakota, half Cherokee, and he joined the military. After a career in the military, he became a cop. And when this creature starts killing people in the little little department that he works for, he realizes that it's not a normal creature, especially when he starts trying to track it. And the, the first part of the book, of the first book, Wolf Moon, is him reconciling what he's been trained in versus what his spiritual beliefs are. And he basically has to come to grips that those two not only intersect – but he has to use the training from one to, and the beliefs beliefs from from his his spiritual side to help stop this creature. It takes all all of his his abilities to do it. So, what is the legend of the werewolf in Native American culture? Most of us are familiar, I guess, with more of the European tradition of werewolves and the werewolf movies with Lon Chaney Jr. and mm-hmm. the Full Moon and the Silver Bullet and Sulfur and all of that stuff. But is it the same type of of legend that comes uh, when we're talking about werewolves? Well, with the Cherokee term is Ulonga Doglala. It means basically long dogs, and they are bipedal wolves, but they don't shift forms. That is their form. The werewolf mythology kind of blended with it when the European settlers came here and their stories began to meld. But the original version were a type of creature that we now refer to as the dog man that has been seen all over the, all over the United States and all over the world. And the legend of the dog man then, or these encounters with dog men, do they typically end in a grisly death? Are these dog men, are they in fact apex predators according to Native American myth? Oh, very much so. The dogman origins, if you look into to cryptid research, most people that report a Bigfoot encounter, generally they either just see it or they feel a presence and they feel it pacing them or hear it pacing them. And basically they, they have an encounter and they leave. Very rarely do you hear an, an aggressive Bigfoot encounter, but dogman encounters are, are very, very different. Dogman encounters tend to be all described as when people see them, they describe it as hellish or demonic. There are accounts from land between the lakes in Kentucky on the Kentucky-Tennessee border of people being attacked. There was a famous case that happened uh, allegedly in 1982 when a family of four was killed by a dogman in uh, the land between the lakes public recreation area. Sightings of a bipedal wolf in that area date back to the 1600s when French trappers were going through there and referred to it as the as the loop guru or the French word for werewolf. Native American lore dates back farther than that. Much like the sightings of Bigfoot go back centuries among Native Americans, different tribes have different names for these creatures. And even tribes that had no contact whatsoever from opposite coasts are describing similar creatures and they have their own names for them. And aside from being a bipedal wolf, describe their physicality, if you could. They're usually described as having very spindly-looking hands, almost like a raccoon. They're human-like hands, but they if you've ever seen a raccoon's hands, they look almost like they have an extra digit. They don't, but they're really kind of oddly shaped, but they're also in, in claws. Their hands don't look normal. Some are described as having uh, plantigrade feet, while others are, are described as digitigrade. Meaning Can you explain they, the difference there? 
Plantigrade feet are like ours, walking on a flat foot like a human or a primate. Digitigrade are like a dog's back leg. They have right. that kind of hawk to it. Yes. So there are different sightings that describe different types of stance. And I don't know if it means it's a different type of creature or just a misidentification by the eyewitnesses, but there are hundreds and hundreds of dogman sightings all over the country, and they're actually becoming more common. And what about the upper torso? Are they more muscular than a, than a typical wolf? A lot of them are described as being lean but muscular, uh, not broad like a Bigfoot. A Bigfoot would be thick of the chest and, and arms. These are built more like like a canid. Their 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 chest and shoulders are are more canid like, uh, but they do have a wider range of motion because of the arms. And they um they're the the commonality in the descriptions is people really refer to them as as hellish or demonic um and they describe the eyes as glowing almost of their own like a like a glow, glowing a a dark orange or yellow or a gold um one of my favorite uh, favorite accounts I read about happened outside of the land between between the lakes area, as a, a man was in bed one night and uh, he had a dog door in his kitchen for his dog to go in and out. Well, his dog woke him up whining in his bedroom, which was uncommon, and it was growling toward the stairs. So he got up and grabbed a shotgun and went downstairs, and there was a dog man halfway through his dog door trying to get into his kitchen. Oh my! And before he could get a shot off, it ducked back out. And took off, but had his dog not alerted him, it might have gotten in the house. Uh, what about the fangs, the uh, the uh, incisors? Are they larger than a typical well uh, canine? They they are larger, but it's because of the size scale is much bigger. Uh, they would be very much like a typical canine tooth, only the the fact that it's seven approximately seven to eight feet tall. I mean, the the just the sheer size difference is going to make the canines bigger. Uh, I mean, when we we talk about Bigfoot, we we have plaster casts, we have mm-hmm. we have fuzzy fuzzy photographs. Uh, what about with with dogmen? Do we have do we have plaster casts? Do we yes, have we do. hair samples? Do we have good go, quality photographs? Uh, a lot of the photographs are fairly blurry, much like the Bigfoot Bigfoot photos. And I, I credit that to the fact that if uh, you happen upon something in the woods that is a total paradigm shift, be it Bigfoot or or, or a dogman, and it frightens you, your first response is not going to be to stabilize a picture. If you think of taking one at all, it's going to be a quick snap while you're while you're running away. So uh, a lot of photographic evidence is is. Difficult to obtain for those very reasons because people are very nervous, very gun shy, scared. Um, but uh, the uh, Jody Cook of the North American Dogman Project has numerous plaster casts of feet and hair samples. And um, the size of the print again, larger than your very average much so. dog, right? Larger than a than it would be typical for a wolf with an elongated lower heel. Interesting. And uh, your Uncle Buddy had a Bigfoot encounter. What did he tell you about dogmen? He described them as creatures of of legend, that he had never seen one, uh, but the elders that he knew had all spoken of them them as being very real, very real creatures, and that they were to be avoided at all costs because they were predators. So he he was a Cherokee. Correct. um, And there have been... You mentioned dogman sightings all over. We have the, be- the the beast of Bray Road, which is Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You've got the land between lakes, which is Kentucky. Um, 
I mean, the Michigan Dogman as well. Michigan Dogman, right. Uh, There have been recent sightings up in New England. Uh, A family was um, stalked and chased into their homes, um, basically held captive in their home because they couldn't. Every time they'd try to get out to go to a vehicle, the creatures would charge them. And uh, they had basically a night of terror as these creatures kept trying to get up to the house and get in. Um, There's uh, another incident that happened in uh, Taylor, Mississippi. Uh, which is uh, was referred to the siege of Lockett Ranch, uh, where a family a family named Lockett uh, had a year long standoff with a with a clan of dogmen, and they eventually fled their land over it. Wow, I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, now the uh, in in Europe there are dogmen sightings, and mm-hmm. often they're associated with sacred. Uh, sites, Stonehenge or Avery or different places like that. What about in, is there a connection between dogmen and, I don't know, uh, native burial mounds or anything like that? I think there's a lot of connection between both Bigfoot and dogmen and, and burial sites. I'm not sure what the connection actually is. But there are a lot of sightings where these cryptids have been seen either in or around graveyards. Um, in fact, um, there's a small graveyard inside um, Land Between the Lakes. Uh, it's called the, the Nickel Cemetery, and there's been a number of sightings in and at that cemetery. Is it possible they're looking for freshly dead corpses? It's possible. Uh, they they might be drawn to the smell of carrion, uh, or they might be hoping to catch somebody unawares that's not paying attention, you know, at planting flowers or something. I, I mean, do, are they hunting humans for meat or just for the thrill of the kill? I uh, I think they're they're top of the line predators. Uh, if you look at the David Polites missing four one one cases, yes. there are thousands of people that have gone mis- gone missing in the national parks, and I think you know while some of them can be attributed to people getting you know off the trail and just never being found, fall into a crevasse. Um, there are some that just simply can't be explained. When they call in search and rescue, trained dogs will refuse to follow the scent. Uh, they might find a, a piece of bone of the person years later in an area that was searched many, many times. Uh, I, I think that there, there's a, a case to be had for there being large unknown predators in our national park system. And the reason I believe that is if you're familiar with the book The Wilderness Hunter written by Teddy Roosevelt, yes. Teddy Roosevelt talks about the Bauman incident where, where, a, where a Bigfoot-type creature killed a trapper and the other one fled. Um, there's a growing number of researchers that think that Bauman was actually Teddy Roosevelt, and he used an assumed name because he had political aspirations when he wrote the book. He didn't want people to think he was crazy. So Bauman had a had a, a direct contra, uh, contact with a deadly cryptid that killed his partner, and if that was in fact Teddy Roosevelt, it would explain the fact that as soon as he became president, one of the first things he did was create the national park system, which isolates millions of acres of land in hard to reach areas. Oh, ah, uh, brilliant, brilliant. All right, DA, we'll take a quick time out. This is good, folks. DA Roberts. And uh, we're talking cryptids. We're talking cryptid horror novels. Apex Predator is a series of four books. We'll uh, delve further into some Native American legends of cryptids as well. Stay with us. Don't go away. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. 
On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to the dead files wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tis the season to give the perfect gift, C60 Evo Organic Oil Elixirs and Facial Serum Sets. And uh, here with a, uh, a tip on how to get a proper night's rest is the co-founder and chief scientist of C60 Evo, Chris Burroughs. Chris, welcome back. How are you? Richard, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I just want to share one of the tips. I've got a number of them, but one of the tips for getting a good night's sleep is related to naps, right? So we're all interested in naps. um, And and the reality is if you're foregoing naps, you probably shouldn't. The data is really clear. You should be taking naps. Uh, Just a couple things that you need to be mindful of when you take a nap. Uh, One of them is don't take naps after four right? Because that can tend to interrupt your circadian rhythm. And that's the rhythm that gives your sleep cycle in tune with the rising and falling of the sun. So taking a nap after four can interrupt that and can have a negative impact on your sleep. And then the next thing is keep your nap. Optimal time is about 20 minutes. If so, if you're about to take a nap and maybe you're really tired, one, don't do it after four and two, make sure you set that alarm clock. Maybe you give yourself 30 minutes, but we've all had the experience of taking a nap and waking up like 10 times groggier than when, than we were when we went to sleep. Uh, so keep those naps short and keep them before four. I like to share these kind of sleep ideas with people because one, I love to deliver value. Uh, and two, it's actually our most consistent testimonial with our product, C60 Evo, is people take it in the morning. They report mental focus and energy during the day. 
and then better sleep that night. Absolutely. I always take my, I call it the grandpa nap, but uh, I wake up, I don't feel like a grandpa and I'm not a grandpa. So absolutely uh, getting a, a good afternoon or early afternoon nap is, is key. Gets you going through the rest of the day. C60 Evo products deliver noticeable benefits to people and pets around the world. Immunity boost, deeper sleep, just like Chris said, more energy, mental balance, flexibility, and longevity. And don't forget uh, visit the website that's c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett, c60evo.com hyphen, c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett, and uh, use the code EVRS, EVRS at checkout, and you save an extra 10%. Chris, we'll talk again next week. Thank you. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. I'll tell you what, I have a whole new... Well, appreciation isn't the right word. Respect for her dogmen. I had no idea that um, they were this closely aligned with the legend of the werewolf. I thought that people had sightings of dogmen. Maybe they had kind of a, an unsettled feeling. I had no idea that dogmen were apex predators, that they were tearing human beings limb from limb, uh, perhaps devouring their flesh. D.A. Roberts is with us and his uh, series of four books, The Apex Predator. Uh, again, the titles are uh, Wolf Moon, Blood Moon, Hunter's Moon, and the, this is the fourth and final installment, Horned Moon. What's a horned moon? The horned moon. The horned moon is uh, when the moon is waning and the, the it, most of it is, is blocked out, except for the, the little sliver at the bottom that looks like a set of horns. Ah, so waxing and waning. I got it. Correct. Um, so uh, there will there a, be more books in the series. The next one's going to be the next one's going to be called Dark Moon. Ah, okay. Is there a connection according to Native American legends and the dogmen? Is there a connection between lunar cycles and appearances of the dogmen? Yes and no. Uh, the first moon of the new year, generally during the coldest time of the year in January, is known as the wolf moon. When the beasts are ravening at the at the edge of the camp, when the, the creatures that are that are still active are looking for food because a lot of it's gone dormant or you know left left for warmer pastures. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the Native Americans very much believed that these creatures came more in the harsh winters than they did in the times of plenty because a predator like this would eat what it could catch. And I would say something that size could easily catch a deer or an elk. And uh, do the Native Americans believe that dog and or and you as well, uh, that dog men are flesh and bone or are they in part a spiritual entity? Well, there's, there's schools of thought on both of that. Uh, there's a condition known as cynocephali, uh, which talks about um, – it dates back you know, centuries. Um, it's a condition whereupon they have a, a human-type body but the head of a dog, much like a nubis. Um, in fact, um, St. – I believe it's St. Michael is known as the dog-headed saint, and a lot of the Catholic depictions show him uh, as having the head of a dog. Um, 
No, I'm sorry. It's St. Christopher, not St. Michael. Um, but um, Sinocephali has been reported for for centuries. They spoke of uh, men with the heads of wolves and, and the lion men of Judah in the Bible. Uh, Marco Polo and Christopher Columbus both spoke of, of dog-headed creatures on islands they visited during their journeys. So creatures with the head of a dog that appear almost human um, have been – Something that people have been talking about, that not just in recent years, but dating back to antiquity. Um, so it, it's not just Native American lore; it's it's been a, been prevalent everywhere. Um, so, yeah, looking. I mean, when you talk about the the god Anubis, the Egyptians firmly believed that there were there were people with the the head of animals. Um, so you know the. Um, the, the condition is not unheard of. Uh, it, it is, it's pretty terrifying, uh, but it is, it's not unheard of. So, um, are the, are the dogmen, is there, are there any sort of, um, supernatural aspect to them? I would think so. Yes. I think that there, there is something more supernatural about them, but they're, I think they're also very much flesh and blood. Um, uh, it's it's a type of creature that is is so steeped in in lore and myth that we don't know a hundred percent what it is. Uh, there there are so many people that. Like especially with Bigfoot, they lean toward a supernatural aspect, or they think that there might be an alien connection with Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, and a lot of Native American tribes believe that Bigfoot is a, a trans-dimensional creature that it can come in and out of our dimension as po whenever it chooses to. Uh, and a lot of that uh, also travels over to the Dogman. Uh, so it's very possible that it's a supernatural creature. But I, I, I've my background in law enforcement. I tend to lean toward what I can what I can tangibly find as evidence. So me personally, I think it's a flesh and blood creature. It's just very strong. Are they seen in the daytime? There have been a lot of accounts of it in the daytime. Uh, there were dogmen that have been reported by the U.S. Border Patrol near the U.S. Mexico border in Arizona and New Mexico. Really? Very much so. My yes, word. sir. My word. And uh, are they fleet of foot? Very quick, uh, much like a wolf. You're not going to outrun one, even though it's on. It's walking upright. Um, there are a lot of accounts, and and this is something I find very interesting about the dogman. There are a lot of accounts of people that report seeing the dogman on all fours prior to it approaching them, and just before it stood up, they would hear a popping sound, much like you crack your knuckles, and then it would stand up and have hands. To me, that that speaks of a type of morphology to the to the to the to the hands that would allow them to transition from going on all fours and still be able to use the hands later um, almost like they're drawing their fingers back and going back to a more paw like structure uh, so they would be much faster on all fours um, and in order for them to be seen all over the country what kind of breeding population would we need do you think it would be be hard to estimate, but considering how many acres of unexplored land there are in in the North America alone, I mean, uh, look at look at the Canadian wilderness, the vastness of unexplored areas. Uh, you get out to um, to um, the Western Territories out near Alaska, there are hundreds of miles where there's literally no settlements um, or even roads. Uh, here in the United States, if you look at a a 
satellite map of the U.S. and you follow major river systems, even despite the fact that we have huge cities like Chicago and you know St. Louis and New York and L.A., there are still massive sections of unbro- unbroken wilderness. And some of that runs right through the Ozarks, right along the rivers through the Mark Twain National Forest. And that I think that explains why we get so many sightings because – you find them not only in the wilderness areas, but generally along major riverways. Okay, so they're the apex predator. Um, have there any? Have there ever ever been a documented case of a a dogman en- encounter with a Bigfoot? The uh, Choctaw. Uh, the Choctaw uh, Indians referred to uh, the two as having territorial wars. Uh, there are a number of native tribes that talk about Bigfoot and Dogman being very aggressive toward each other and even even attacking each other on site. Uh, in the land between the lakes area, the, if you look at the north end of LBL, you you will see that's where the Dogman encounters. Are, are clustered, but you get Bigfoot accounts in the south end of LBL, and we're, this is not a small park. It is huge, uh, and in the middle, they have herds of elk and buffalo, uh, so I think they have very clearly delineated their territory and both prey on those elk and buffalo. I'm just trying to imagine. The, I mean, I have uh, – our my bedroom window opens out into our backyard, and in the summer, we have the windows wide open, and and – the sound of two raccoons squaring off, I mean, mm-hmm. it is otherworldly for people who have heard it know what I mean. I mean, it is frightening to hear raccoons snarling and growling, and uh, I can't imagine what it would sound like for a Bigfoot and a dogman to square off. That must just be absolutely hellish. It would sound like a you know somebody with a uh, a, a semi truck crashing through the woods. I would I would estimate probably you know you'd hear trees smashing, snarls and growls. Um, in fact, they uh, they uh, say that Bigfoot is capable of infrasound, so I would say you would feel the sound as much as hear it. What about the intelligence of these creatures? I think they're very intelligent, like cunning intelligent, but I don't think they're human level intelligent. Some people I, uh, in accounts I've read say that there seems to be some sort of a um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not telekinesis um, or is it telekinesis? Telepathic. Telepathic communication. Thank you. Telepathic communication with these creatures. What have you heard about that? There are a number of people that report having what they call mind speak with Bigfoot. Um I'm not gonna not gonna call anybody out and say they're wrong. I'm not gonna argue with it because I I, never, I make no claims of being an expert in in cryptozoology, and anybody that claims they're an expert is is selling you something because there are no experts in this field. They're just people that have researched it and developed their own theories over the over time. But since we don't have a body to study, these theories are just that they're theories. So there are really no experts in this field. But m- my opinion is that what people are thinking is mind speak because a lot of them they a lot of people who say they had mind speak it was they had this this overwhelming feeling like get out like hearing the vo- the voice get out but I, i've experienced that feeling in dangerous areas but it's not something talking to me it's that 
that survival instinct in the back of your head that's paying attention that notices there are no animal sounds anymore in your area and you feel like you're being stalked and your primitive brain is telling you to get out. I personally think that's what it is. I don't know that people are having lengthy Bigfoot conversations through MindSpeak. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not gonna not going to say it's impossible, uh, but it just hasn't happened to me. I haven't experienced it. I'm up here in, in uh, Ontario, southwestern Ontario, around the Great Lakes, Lake mm-hmm. Erie, Lake Ontario. Any dogmen sighting up here do you know of? Uh, there are dogmen sightings all over that area. I mean, with the Michigan dogman and the Beast of Bray Road so close, uh, there are Canadian sightings of dogman as well. Um, just about anywhere you've got a Bigfoot sighting, you also can find dogman sightings in those areas because they seem to share the same um, prey items, the same habitats. So if they can't find a human, they'll settle for a a small dog, a large dog, maybe some livestock, I'm guessing. Well, wolves are wolves are omnivorous. They will eat just about anything they can kill. Uh, And I would say that same attribute will will, will, uh, go over to a dog man as well. I mean, if uh, if they've got an opportunity to kill and eat a deer, they'll 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 take the opportunity. Uh, But they're probably just as likely to go after a stray hiker. Do they work in packs the way the regular wolves do? Some say yes, some say no. Uh, there's been a lot of individual sightings of dogmen. They've been seen alone, uh, but there are just as many that people have seen them in groups uh, or started out only seeing one and realized they were being surrounded before they got out of the area. Um, so I, I think they do hunt in packs personally. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not good. One is enough. One is enough. Now they, they hunt in packs. Oh, great. Um, so what about you, in your work in, in law enforcement? Um, have you ever run across any, I don't know, a, a potential dogman encounter or been, been asked to, uh, investigate a possible dogman encounter? Well, I've, uh, I've been, you know, privy to animal mutilations and, and missing pets, uh, that just disappeared with, you know, without explanation, but those could have been easily attributed to existing wildlife like bobcats. And we have mountain lions in Missouri and black bears as well. Uh, in, in times when, when the weather's getting bad and food's a little lean, uh, the bigger predators will come closer to civilization and start taking out pets because they're easy, easy, uh, easy prey items. Uh, but I, I kept my 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 cryptozoology research very separate from my law enforcement my law enforcement career because if defense attorneys get wind of you being a you know an amateur cryptozoologist uh, they will use that against you on the stand because they will try to destroy your credibility. But one day, perhaps, uh, DA, uh, you like. Like uh, Gray Eagle, those two worlds could collide. Very much so. But I, I'm retired now, so I can ah. I can talk freely. Uh, but I have a lot of friends that are still in law enforcement that have had experiences that would that have told me the experiences, but said never attach my name to this because it'll ruin my credibility on the defensive stand. All right. Well, without involving names, can you share one of those stories of a law enforcement officer and a, a dogman? Absolutely. There's an area about 40 miles south west of here, uh, an old abandoned campground called the Joe Bald Recreation Area. I've had a, had some odd experiences down there myself, but this happened to a deputy uh, that works for the, worked for the Stone County Sheriff's Department. Uh, it's an abandoned campground. The Army Corps of Engineers shut it down around 1999 or, the, or 2000 after there have been a number of disappearances involved with the park. Uh, it's basically been reclaimed by nature. You, there's still 
like bad, uh, badly, uh, badly in state in need of repair roads that go back to this campsite area, but it's closed off. You've basically got to go in there at your own risk. Uh, it's completely overgrown. You can still find the concrete like um, picnic tables and, and camping areas in the woods, but they've been overgrown. Um, and that was a place that a lot of the deputies would go down and park their vehicles away from the beaten path so they could do reports without being disturbed and things like that. Well, this uh, this particular deputy was sitting down there one night filling out a report, and um, he just he said he kept having the feeling that he was being watched. And uh, just out of the blue, something came up behind his vehicle and slammed its hands down. And he said it was definitely hands uh, on the de- the deck of his trunk and almost bottomed the truck out, uh, the the, uh, the uh, charger out. He hit his brakes because he was in park, and it, the red light lit up something very broad and hairy, and he could see its hands were still on the trunk deck. Uh, and he just threw it in gear and punched it because it wasn't. It wasn't a person, obviously. It was some sort of creature, and he believed he he believed it was a Bigfoot creature. Uh, he rocketed out of the area and drove back into town, pulled into a convenience store, got out, and the deck of his trunk had been caved in. Wow, wow. What are your thoughts on the legendary Montauk monster? Was it a genuine cryptid or some kind of messed up lab experiment? Well, I think the Montauk monster was probably an experiment due to the the close proximity to the Plum Island Research Facility. Uh, I think it was an experiment that somehow escaped, uh, and it would also explain why the uh, the body just vanished after a few days. Uh, so I would very much think that that Montauk the Montauk monster was was probably a government experiment, something that they were pre- uh, performing experiments on or something. Any thoughts on the Sierra sounds? Uh, I have uh, actually on my my podcast. I was able to interview. Uh, Ron Moorhead. Uh, we talked at length about the uh, Sierra sounds. Um, the recordings he made were analyzed by the Navy, and they put it through a crypto linguistics computer to try to to try to determine if it was a language. And not only was it determined to be a language that they they couldn't break the code on, uh, it exhibited characteristics both above and below the human vocal spectrum. So there's no way a human could have made it. And it was definitely a language. Uh, so I think Ron Moorhead legitimately captured Bigfoot speaking. I interviewed him a couple of years ago. If memory serves, he described the language as sounding almost like, like uh, what did he say, samurai or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they refer to it as samurai chatter. Yeah. It's a bit of a long shot, but do you have any stories from – Palm de Terre State Park in Missouri. I've camped there many times. I uh, have camped in Palm de, Palm de Terre many times myself. Uh, there are a number of Bigfoot accounts in that area, including one where a fisherman that was near uh, near the dam uh, spotted two of them uh, at the edge of the water like they were trying to catch fish. Oh, wow. Amazing. What can you tell us, uh, DA, about Wendigo and Skinwalkers? Well, skinwalkers are primarily a Navajo legend, although similar similar legends exist in other tribes as well. Uh, but the skinwalkers are are shaman who went to pure dark side. Uh, they committed an act so vile that it it basically cursed them. Uh, they. Um, while being similar to the uh, the werewolf legend, they are not limited to a wolf form. They are uh, supposedly able to change into anything. Uh, so the skinwalkers are are very different than a dogman legend. It's, it's for the, simply for the fact that they can take on any form. Uh, the Wendigo, however, is very specific. 
uh, the, the all of the legends around the Wendigo, and there's about a dozen different spellings and pronunciations of the Wendigo, the Wintico, the Wendiga. Uh, the list goes on and on with the Wendigo, but they're all very similar in the stories that during lean times in the dead of winter, when starvation was close at hand, if somebody broke broke the taboo of eating human flesh, they would be cursed to become this ravenous beast that was always hungry and always hungry for human flesh. Um, there are documented cases of it uh, in Canada, um, up along the, the Trans-Canadian Highway back I want to say it was in 2008 or 2007. There was a case that they have identified. They called it Wendigo psychosis, where a guy, for unknown reasons, just decided to attack and eat a guy, another passenger on a bus, on a Greyhound bus traveling down the highway. Oh, right. Yes, he cut his head off. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they've uh, they they actually referred to that as Wendigo psychosis. Uh, but in a lot of the, especially the Algonquin legends, not only can you become a Wendigo by eating human flesh, but you can also be possessed by the spirit of the Wendigo. Uh, so uh, they refer to it as Wendigo psychosis now, but it it could have simply been the spirit of the Wendigo possessed him. Uh, you have another series of well, you have a number of series of books. One is Codename Wild Hunt, and you've got Curse of the Wendigo. Correct. Tell us a little bit about uh, that that whole series of books and and that particular um, volume. When I uh, when I first started really digging deep into cryptid lore, I kept hearing a persistent rumor that there was a group of military special forces that hunted dangerous cryptids. I kept hearing this rumor from different locations. Uh, so my codename Wild Hunt series is about that unit. I created a specific unit that that's what they do. They hunt down dangerous cryptids, especially when they start killing people. And they're, they're doing so in a way they want to keep it from the public eye. Uh, so that's that's what that book series is about. It's about the special forces unit that hunts them down. Um, in that specific case of the Curse of the Wendigo, uh, they they encounter a Wendigo that has been been attacking people in the Minnesota woods, and um, when they engage the creature, they have to find out the hard way, unfortunately, which parts of the the Wendigo lore are real and which parts are made up. Uh, there. Are, there are a number of ways that vary with tribes on how they're how they're supposedly killed. Uh, one way you have to cut its heart out with a silver knife and then burn the body and the heart separately. Uh, there are others other ways where you remove the head. Other ways that refer to using fire. Um, so what this team encounters, uh, they try. They have to keep running through different versions of the lore until they find what actually works. Wow. That's got uh, Amazon Prime uh, or Netflix series written all over it. Has Hollywood I, I, come I would, calling, DA? I would love it if they did. I would love to see any of these series made in, into books. I have uh, the Lakeview Man series, which is about a small sheriff's department here in Missouri that keeps that deals that it's dealing with cryptid occurrences that keep, keep arriving in their area. Uh, I have the of course, Apex Predator series, the Codename Wild Hunt series, a new series that has one book out called The Nightmare Hunter, which is about a – it's very much um, – think Carl Kolchak. It's oh, one of my favorites. Yes. It's an investigative reporter that's digging into these, these cryptid reports and through basically dumb luck very much in the Carl Kolchak fashion, discovers the real and winds up neck deep in it. Um, 
I've also got a fantasy, a fantasy series in the works. The first book is not out yet. Uh, I have a sci-fi series called The Lost Legion. There are two books of that out. And I have a zombie series called The Ragnarok Rising Saga. It's a 10-book series where I blend elements of the zombie apocalypse with Norse mythology. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. DA, what are your thoughts on Skinwalker Ranch? Any idea what's going on there? There is so much going on with the Skinwalker Ranch. I I don't know that I could really nail it down to any one thing. They've seen UFOs there. They've seen Skinwalker-type creatures there. They've seen portals open. Um, I think that area is a nexus point. Uh, maybe the dimensional barriers are thinner there. I don't know. I do know that that land was cursed. Um, years and years ago, the, the Ute tribe began enslaving the Navajo. And when the Navajo fled that area, they cursed it. And uh, that land has been cursed. And everybody that's lived on it has either fled or sold the land in a very, very short order. That land has changed hands a lot over the last hundred years, but it was allegedly cursed by Navajo shaman who were getting vengeance against the Uinta Ute for, for enslaving their people. Uh, we were just talking about the Night Stalker and, and, and Carl Kolshak, one of the great characters of all time. And I just noticed on the, uh, on the Skype call, you're wearing a straw fedora. Is that an homage to Mr. Kolshak? Yes, sir. It's actually a reproduction. It's called the Night Stalker. Oh, wow. I got to get me one of those. Uh, if you look online, uh, if you look up uh, reproduction of the Carl Kolchak or Kolchak hat, or I can find the link and send it to you. But it's an authentic reproduction of Carl's hat. Do you have the seersucker suit as well? Uh, no, uh, my wife would probably kill me, kill me if I showed up in a seersucker suit. I would Nobody have could wear a seersucker suit and and sneakers and the I way that uh, flash cube Dar- cameras. Yeah, and Darren McGavin could. Yes, indeed. Um, so. What's next? I mean, uh, my gosh, you have – are you writing uh, – I mean, how do you write? Um, do you write long long form? Do you type – bang it out on a manual typewriter? Now, that's the way I picture you is, is hammering away on a, a, on a manual typewriter. I, I would love to do that, uh, to write on a manual typewriter because I just love the feel of it. But transferring that into Word documents is extremely difficult. So I do my writing on the, on the computer. I used to actually write it out by hand. Uh, and then my wife would, would transcribe it onto the computer for me. But I, uh, in a, an incident that I won't go into, I sliced, I'm left-handed. I sliced open my left hand between the thumb and the palm. And it was like 48 stitches to put it oh back my. together. Um, and as a result, I, if I write with my left, I'm left-handed again. Uh, if I write for any length of time, my hand cramps so bad I can't I can't write very long. So I, now I just got into the habit of typing it all on the computer, and now that's pretty much how it goes. But I do want to get one of those old manual typewriters for the shelf in my writing room. Uh, well, now they have the the computer keyboards that's that sound and feel like a manual typewriter. Yeah, I told them, my wife I wanted one of those for Christmas. I hope I get it. There you go. All right. Well, what a delight, uh, DA. I can't believe I've been in this uh, business 20 years, and this is the first time we've crossed paths. So it's going to be the first of many, I hope. I hope so, yes. Uh, you're uh, you're just absolutely captivating. And uh, uh, now you gave me yet another reason to check under my bed before I uh, <laughs> hop into the old schlafen sack. You ever, have you ever scared yourself with your writing? I, I've written scenes that were emotionally draining, and I've also written scenes that have kind of given me the willies. 
like I, I was writing one scene in one of the Lakeview Man books. I was actually the first Lakeview Man book. And uh, my wife tapped on the door and she's like, honey, it's three o'clock in the morning. and The dog wants out. I don't want to go out in the yard by myself. Do you want to take him? And I said, yeah, sure. So I grabbed my jacket and it was chilly out. And I took the dog into the backyard. And I just had this weird heebie-jeebie feeling the whole time because I'd just been writing this really creepy scene. I'm like, okay, the dog's going to go out during the daylight from here on out. <laughs> All right. Well. A great pleasure, DA. Thank you so much. Thank you. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>